Welcome to an incredible word from Pastor Marcus Dunham, Associate Pastor here at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Well, listen, guys, you guys got me today. So, hey, let's go ahead, man. Let's jump into the word. Let's do it. So, um... Uh, today, um, uh, we are going to be in the book of Hebrews today, the book of Hebrews. And I tried to cook up a couple of jokes for Hebrews, but I thought I'd save them for another dad joke time. You know, I mean, you can imagine what they might be, so I'll save them for another time. But uh, we will be in the book of Hebrews today, and the title of the message this morning is The Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. What in the world is the Day of Atonement? Well, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, and, uh, it's something, you know, you may have heard the term, the word, um, the Day of Atonement before. Maybe you haven't, but we'll get there in just a moment. But first, I'd like to start, I'd like to go back to last week. Last Sunday, Pastor Ron preached a wonderful message entitled, Save the Date. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, or if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to go back and watch that. Uh, you can find it on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, GTCLTR. You can go to um, our podcast as well. But it was a wonderful message where Pastor Ron shared with us and reminded us that God has a calendar. He is very time conscious. He's very date conscious because he has a plan. He's a very orderly God. And last week, Last Sunday was a holiday on the, Jew, uh, on the Jewish calendar entitled Rosh Hashanah. And Rosh Hashanah, if you were here, it, 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 we learned that Rosh Hashanah means the head, of the, the head of the new year, the head of the year, excuse me. And in other words, it was the beginning of a new year and the beginning of a new year on God's calendar. That was this past Sunday. And also it marked the beginning of, uh, of, of Jewish 10 days entitled the Days of Awe. And during the Days of Awe, it is the time in which the people of Israel use that time to look inward and to take inventory of their life to ensure that they are living in a way that pleases God, that if there is anything in their life that they need to change, Anything in their life that they need to ask forgiveness for, they use that time to do so. But it's also a time to prepare. They're preparing for another day. They're preparing for a special day. In fact, they're preparing for today. Uh, at sundown in, in, uh, in Israel, it marks the new day, a, a day entitled Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is the day that they were preparing for. It's a very special day. So what is Yom Kippur? What does it mean? Well, it can be broken down. Uh, Yom, meaning the day, and Kippur, meaning to atone. So it is the day to atone, or in other words, it is the day of atonement. The day of atonement. It's a very special day. That is today at sundown in Israel. So we're, we'll talk about what the Day of Atonement was and what it is. But first, we have to understand the word 
atonement because that's not a word that we just use in our normal vocabulary. Okay, uh, you, I'm sure you've heard, you know, someone, I, you know, when I think of the word atone, I think of an action movie, somebody having to atone for their sins, and then they go out, you know, you know, you know gun blitzing, you know, it's just this, you know, I don't know why, that's the first thing that pops in my head, but I'm sure you guys have a more better version, in, you know, but um, the word atone, when we talk about atonement or to atone, we're talking about making amends, to make amends for something to make reparations for something bad that has happened. It's to repair. It's to, to bring back into oneness, okay? So the, the word atonement can be split up as at one mint, to be brought together at one mint. Atonement is to be brought together, okay? It is to make amends, and that brings us to the atonement, the day of atonement. So what was the day of atonement? Well, we find it in the Old Testament. And the day of atonement was the day, a very special day, in which the high priest, okay, the high priest, you, you had priests in the Old Testament, and uh, they, were, they were the people who resided in the tabernacle or in the temple, and they took care of the temple, and they also offered sacrifices, which is the way that you were to find forgiveness for God, the way that you connected with God, the way that you sought God, you would go to the temple. And the priests were the ones who resided there, they, and, and they did all of the work there at the temple or in the tabernacle. And the Day of Atonement was the one day in which the high priest would make intercession on behalf of Israel for the forgiveness of their sins. This was a big day. It was a very important day. In fact, it was considered the holiest of days. Why? Because there's a few reasons. One of them being that the high priest, it was the one day that the high priest was allowed to go into the holiest of places on earth. And it's entitled the Holy of Holies. It was the place where God's presence resided. It's where his presence resided on the earth, was in the Holy of Holies, which was in the temple. And it was divided by a curtain that kept God separated from everyone else because his presence was holy. But this was the day that the high priest was able to go into the Holy of Holies. And it's also considered one of the holiest days because it was the day that God set aside that he would forgive the sins of Israel. It was a big day. And, of course, he would forgive the sins of Israel, but it was, it was only after there were an order of events that had to be done a very specific way. And these order of events you can find in Leviticus chapter 16. Now, I know that we all just love the book of Leviticus. I mean, listen, Zach just brought a word from Leviticus. We all wake up just saying, I'm going to read the book of Leviticus. Let's do it. You know, we all just love the, okay, I'm just kidding. I know it's not a book that we reach for. It's a very interesting book, a very wonderful book, a very important book. But it's not one that you probably normally go to. And so I would, under, I would understand if you have never read, or it's been a long time since you've read Leviticus chapter 16. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to summarize real quick Leviticus chapter 16 to get us a better understanding because, like I said, we're going to be going to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. And before we get there, we got to understand just to have a basic knowledge, a good foundation of understanding the day of atonement and what it meant. So let's go ahead and let's, uh, we're going to summarize Leviticus chapter 16. So it starts off with the high priest, and God lets him know, reminding him that he does not go into the Holy of Holies except for one day. He can't just go in there any time. And, and, and on that day, he starts off with him taking, uh, he, he, he has to bathe himself, first bathe himself to get ready for the ceremony. He has to cleanse himself, prepare himself by washing, and then... He was to put on dedicated white linens. These dedicated white linens he had to put on, and they were set aside for the service. Now, white linens were not the normal attire for a priest. Okay? They were decked out in these super expensive linens that they wore. They wore a chest plate with these uh, very precious stones that were all over it. I mean, they were completely decked out. They, they, they had gold uh, on their forehead, and, and I mean, every, they, 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 when they walked around, it was very royal when they walked. But on the Day of Atonement, it was different. They couldn't wear any of those things. They were stripped down to simple white linens, okay? And then the high priest was to go and take him a bull, and he was to kill that bull and take its blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Now, so far, all of this was just for the high priest. Because if he was going to make atonement for the sins of Israel, he had to be right with God. He had to be forgiven. He had to be clean. And so he had to perform a sacrifice just for him. So at this point, he is now cleansed and ready to go. And there was a couple other things that he had to do, but I'm summarizing. And now he's ready to begin the process for the atonement of of Israel. So after doing those things, he was then to cast lots. Okay, this was a way that they, that they, that it's something that they would do to allow God to make a decision. They're not making a choice. They're not choosing. God is choosing. And so they would cast lots to determine two goats that would be used for the atonement. One goat would be chosen by God as the sacrificial goat, and the other goat would be set aside as the scapegoat. And so once those goats are chosen, now the high priest, there's still more, he has to go and take the sacrificial goat, and he kills it, and then he takes the blood back into the Holy of Holies, where God's presence is, and he sprinkles that blood on the mercy seat. And then he goes throughout the tabernacle. He begins to to sprinkle blood on everything in the tabernacle, and then he goes out to the altar where they would perform the sacrifices, and he would mix that with the blood of the bull, and then he had to anoint the altar. I mean, this is a lot. And then after that, 
He takes his blood-soaked hands. Just imagine, okay? Remember, he is, he, there's a lot of blood. So you can imagine there's a lot of blood all over the high priest. He then takes his blood-soaked hands and he puts them on top of that scapegoat. And he confesses the sins of Israel onto that goat, transferring the sins from Israel onto that goat. And then after doing it, they release that goat into the wilderness. And when that, as that goat leaves the camp, as it leaves Israel, the people of Israel, he takes its sins along with it into a desolate, far land. What a picture. After that, the priest goes and he cleanses himself. He takes a bath. He rinses off all the blood. He, he puts back on his normal attire, and then he begins to, to clean up. And he does some other sacrifices and other things that he has to do. And once he completes all of those things, then the atonement would be complete. Wow. A- amen. It's a beautiful picture, but, man, that's a lot. That's a lot. And listen, I know that he was the high priest, the high priest. It just sounds like a very royal, important name. But he was a normal person, just like you and me. I couldn't imagine having to do all of those things. And remember, on the, on the, on the Day of Atonement, okay, on a normal day, there were a lot of sacrifices that would get done. And there were multiple priests because one man couldn't do it alone. But on the Day of Atonement, all the other priests, they had to stop. And only the high priest, he himself, had to do all that work by himself. Listen, I, I didn't grow up around livestock a lot. But one thing, I could not imagine having to deal with a bull. Wow, can, can you imagine that? Having to get a bull... And then have to kill it by yourself? And I mean, along with everything else, all of this he had to do all on his own. And it was all important. And so I just tried to think it through what it would be like. And I just imagine that would be a really long day. Man, it'd be a long day. I, if it was me, I don't think that God would choose me to be the high priest, you know, hopefully he would, but I don't know, I don't, I don't know that anybody was, you know, would qualify, you know, maybe Miss Brenda or Pastor Ron, I don't know, so, you know, but you know what, Pastor Vaughn, there we go, Pastor Vaughn would be the high priest, if anybody, but, okay, but if we were, we would be exhausted, there is blood everywhere, I mean, you're covered in blood, I mean, listen, I don't even like blood from the chicken juice getting on my hands when I'm messing, when I'm cooking, I mean, I don't even like that. I couldn't imagine having blood all over me, I mean, you, you got to think through and just imagine what it, you know, what it was like. I mean, this guy had to be wore out, but you know what? It had to be done that way. It had to be done that exact way. No other way. It had to be done exactly the way that God had commanded. This was serious to God. So why? Why did God want them to do it that specific way? Why is it that it had to be only the high priest? Why, is it, why was it so important to God? Why was it so serious to Him? Well, it was because this sacrificial system that he had set up was only a type and shadow. 
of the real thing. It was a picture. It was an illustration of what God was pointing to, of what was going to happen. It was a dress rehearsal, and he was pointing to a greater system. He was pointing to a, this was an imperfect system pointing to a perfect one. He was pointing to a person. He was pointing to Jesus. This whole sacrificial system, everything, okay, everything in it, the the goats, the blood, the linens, the sacrifices, the, the livestock, all of it, all of it was pointing to Jesus. It was pointing to him. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 talks about this very thing. And, and, and really, uh, about Hebrews chapter 6 to chapter 10 talks about this whole thing. And, and the, the, the writer of Hebrews, he's writing to Jewish Christians who had a mosaic background. This, this is something that they understood, and they were imagining that they still had to please God by doing these things, and he's helping him to understand some things. But one of the things he, he talks about in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, it says this, the, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, but not the good things themselves. This day of atonement, the system and everything that's set up, it was pointing to a specific person. It was pointing to Jesus. Everything, the goats, the, 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 the blood, the linens, the sacrifices, all of it was pointing to Jesus, even the high priest himself. The high priest, I don't know that I can say that anything is more important than the other, but the high priest was very important because the high priest himself was a picture of Jesus. It was pointing to Jesus. Because remember, the high priest had to do everything. He had to do it all himself. No other priest could help him. Only the high priest alone himself had to do everything. He had to slay the animals. He had to prepare the animals. He had to, put, he had to perform the sacrifices all by himself. He had to sprinkle the blood. It was all on him. No other priest could help him on the Day of Atonement. Why? Because it was pointing to Jesus, and Jesus alone is the one responsible for your salvation. No other, Jesus alone. It was all on him, and it was no random choice. This was all because God had, had it set up, and it was, he was a type and shadow of Jesus, and Jesus, he himself became our ultimate high priest, okay? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 says, Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. Christ has now become that high priest. Remember, he said that the old sacrificial law was pointing to the good things. And it says that Jesus has become the high priest of that good thing. You see, Jesus, okay, the whole system was a picture of Jesus. It's true that Jesus, he became the sacrificial goat. He was the sacrificial goat that sacrificed his life when he went to the cross, and his blood was spilled. And just like that goat, when, it's, when, it, when he sprinkled his blood, when his blood came out and it paid for the sins of Israel, is the same way that when Jesus went to the cross, his blood paid for the forgiveness of your sins. 
He was that sacrificial goat. But not only was he the sacrificial goat, he was also the scapegoat. In the same way that, 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 that the high priest laid his hands and transferred the sins of Israel onto that goat and he ran away into the wilderness taking the sins of Israel with him, in the same way our sins were transferred to Jesus on that cross. And whenever, whenever he died, he removed our sins and he tossed them away from us as far as the east is from the west. He was the sacrificial goat, and he was the scapegoat. But he was also the high priest. And the high priest paid, uh, 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 he, he had a very important responsibility because his responsibility was to be the mediator. He was the person in the middle. He was the person who did the things that were necessary in order for their sins to be forgiven. And that's exactly what Jesus did for you. He was your mediator. And today he is still your mediator, sitting at the right hand of God. But he was the mediator. He stood between God and man. And he performed the sacrifice. And again, he himself was the sacrifice so that you can be set free and that you can be forgiven. He, do you, do, you, do you see the picture? Him as the high priest standing in the middle, performing the sacrifice so that you can be forgiven. That is the picture that we're given. It just reminds me of, of, of John the Baptist when he sees Jesus. What did he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is that Lamb. He is that goat taking away our sins. Hebrews chapter 9 Verse 12 says this, with his own blood, not the blood of, of, of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time. If you remember, on the Day of Atonement, it happened once a year. And once a year, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. It was once a year because it was pointing to Jesus. That Jesus wasn't going to do once a year he wasn't going to sacrifice himself once a year, but he did it once for all time. Once and for all, he went to the cross and sacrificed himself so that he could pay for your sins once and for all. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. That's what the high priest was. He was a mediator. And Jesus is our mediator. So... One more verse uh, before we get to our actual verse for today. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. That is who he is. So now that we have that picture, understanding that Jesus is our high priest, our mediator, who stood in the gap between us and God to make the sacrifice and do what it took in order for us to be forgiven of our sins. Okay? By the way, whenever there was a curtain separating God from the people in the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died, the Bible says that that, that, that curtain was torn. And we all have access into the presence of God. 
But we don't have to go to a tabernacle in Israel to go find God. All we have to look is look inward. He is now living on the inside of us. Amen? So, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 24 is where we're going. And this is where we're going to land, okay? This right here is a, is a response to Jesus being our mediator. The writer of Hebrews, he laid out what we just talked about, wanting them to understand that now understanding that he is our high priest, that he is our mediator, how do we respond to God? How should we respond to God knowing that he has done what he has done for us, that he has paid for our sins so that we can be forgiven on the day of atonement? How do we respond to God? Let's go ahead and read it. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 24. Verse 19, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, okay, now we can enter the holy of holies, the holy places where his presence is, verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through, through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Remember, there was a curtain, it was removed, it's gone. He's paid for it. We have access. Because of what Jesus has done for us. In number, uh, verse 21, since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near. Let us draw near to God with a true heart, a full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil, uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love in good works. I love how he starts off. He's telling that, he says, since we have confidence to enter into that holy place now, because Jesus has removed that curtain whenever he himself sacrificed, when he died on the cross for our sins, and since he is that great high priest, since he is our mediator, let us draw near to God. Three things he says, and we're going to take them one by one. How do we respond as, as Christians? How do we respond to God that he has, has paid the price? This is the day of atonement today, the day of atonement that, that they would have celebrated or that, that they would have gone through this day. How do we respond? First off is to draw near to God. This is something that the, the writer of Hebrews wanted the people to know. Seven times he uses the words draw near to God in the book of Hebrews. Just a few instances. Uh, chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Chapter, chapter 7, verse 25, consequently he is able to save the uttermost those who draw near to God. Chapter 11, verse 6, and without faith it is, an imposs- it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe. And you can read the rest of those verses. But clearly he wants them to understand to draw near to God. God's desire is that we would draw near to him. Understanding that he has paid the price, that he has paid the ultimate sacrifice to cover our sin, 
and to remove our sin. He didn't just forgive our sin, he removed it as far as the east is from the west. Knowing these things, his desire is that we draw near to him, that we would draw near, that we would go to the throne of God to seek mercy and to seek his grace in our greatest times of need, that we would go to God and that we would seek salvation and seek deliverance in our time of need, and that we would know that when we seek him, that he will reward him with who he is. In other words, the writer is encouraging us to get closer to God, for us to draw closer to Him, and it's to have fellowship with Him. In in other words, God is not wanting us, God, he, he, He wants us to not settle for a Christian life that is distant from God, to live a life that, 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 that leaves Him, or to live a life as a Christian that's separated from God, that he wouldn't be an afterthought, that he wouldn't be something that we only think about when we come to church, but that we would be connected to him, that we would take the next step, whatever that next step is for us in our life, that we would take that next step. His hope is that God would be a present reality. So the question is, how do we draw near to God? How do we draw near to him? How do we get closer to God? Do we do it physically? Do we change our location in order to get closer to God? We can by being, you know, okay, you know, I would say yes and no. Okay, by being in church, obviously, it's a way that, that, that help us to draw closer to God by being in church, being in a place where other believers are, where we can hear the word of God. It will help us in our walk with Jesus. In fact, here in this very passage in verse 24, he says to not neglect meeting together. As, a, as it was a habit for some, but to encourage, but to continue encouraging one another. So, yes, we should gather together. We should continue to be in church as we all are today. As those watching online, we should be. But it is true that we can go to church twice a week and still be distant from God. So that can't just be the answer. So how do we draw near to God? I believe that drawing near to God is an invisible act of the heart. It's it's when we surrender our heart to God and we give it over to him and we trust him with our life and we draw near to him, allowing his words to to be in our heart and to to allow the word of God to, to change us. And we do it by drawing near to the word of God. By drawing near in prayer. By, by, by when we do that, it's, there's something that happens within our heart. Because the truth is that we cannot have communion with God and be on the throne at the same time. That spot has to be reserved for him. To draw near to God, it makes me think, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It's, it's, it's trusting in the Lord with all your heart. In leaning not on your own understanding, acknowledging God in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. If we, in all of our ways, we acknowledge him in all of our ways, he will make our path straight. He will do the rest. Drawing near to God is trusting in him and giving him our heart, giving him uh, our, our today, giving him our tomorrow, trusting him with what is next in our life. That is drawing near, getting closer to his word, allowing him to transform us.
the purpose of Christ mediating, for, mediating us for our sins, him covering and removing our sins. The purpose, number one, is for us to draw near to God. But number two, to encourage us to hold fast to our confession of hope. To hold fast. When I think of that word, hold fast, it means to endure and to persevere and to continue. To hold fast, to stand strong, and to not waver. And the confession talks about a confession, the confession of our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, that he is going to fulfill what he says that he's going to do. He's going to do what he says that he's going to do. But a confession of our hope is us confessing to ourselves and confessing to people around us that we believe that God is going to do what he said that he is going to do. It's getting a word and reminding ourselves and, and confessing that God is who he says he is, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. That we believe that he, will, that, that, that he will help us in our time of need. That whenever we need a word, we confess the word of God over our life and towards others. And also that we live in a way that we believe that very same thing. You know, it, it makes me think of whenever my daughter was four months old and we heard that she was going to need heart surgery. Man, my heart was just sank. It sank to my stomach. And it, it just, it, you know, it, it kind of just shook me a little bit to imagine that my baby girl, my little four-month-old, was going to have to have, you know, to, to have heart surgery. And I remember just, just feeling off and just my head spinning in all these different places. If I could do anything, I just wanted to just go and just do it for her. But knowing I couldn't, you know, it was, it, it was hard. And I remember just, just, just being in a, in a time of prayer and just talking to God and, and just, just getting it all out and how, I, you know, I was just, I was wrestling with it. And I just remember talking to God and, 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 and as I was talking to him and just, and just getting everything out, I just felt this, this, this rumbling that was happening in my spirit and it was my faith rising up. And I just remember it was a but God moment coming out and I just begin to, to, to hold on to the truth. And I begin to remind myself that, God, you are big enough, that you are great enough, that you can handle this. This is something that you can do. And I just begin to just, just, to just begin to cry out to God. And I, and I just begin to say, God, I know that you're going to give me the strength that I need. I know that you're going to give me the grace that I need. I know that you're going to give me everything I need to endure this time. And let me tell you, God gave me grace for the day. Every day, me and Melinda, he gave us grace. And I remember every day that something happened, I just wasn't worried about it anymore. I just knew that God was going to take care of it. And I didn't know how it was going to work out, but I just knew that it was in God's hands. And, I, and every day, and, and I remember when she came out of that OR and all those wires hooked up to her and my heart sank again, but there was a strengthening that God gave me that day. And it was enough for that day. And man, I remember five days later, my little baby girl coming out of that hospital. Whole, taken care of, and man, you wouldn't even think that anything ever happened to her, she was in God's hands. But you know, God knew, but I needed to confess the word of God over my life. I needed to confess that hope, to confess it. And listen, I confessed it to, the other, uh, uh, I confessed it to other people. 
I, I let people know that it was in God's hands. I knew that God was going to take care of it, and I walked in his peace. I walked in his strength. And listen, sometimes we have to confess the word of God, to confess the truth over our life, to know that, listen, it is in God's hands that he can do this, that in my time of need, he is my ever-present time of need. I can call out to him, and he will meet my need, that he is my provider. He is my protector. I can call out to him in the time that I need him. That is who he is. Amen. But it is a confession. It, and, and I don't know, but it, it, it increases your faith. It strengthens your faith. It strengthens your walk and your trust in the Lord. When we, when we hold fast to that confession, hold fast to stand strong, to not allow your moment, not allow the things that you are going through to shake you and waver you from your foundation in Christ, but that you strengthen your feet, you set them down and you say, you, and you begin to confess the truth over your life and over your situation. Amen? Amen. So let us draw near to God, let us hold fast to our confession, and let us encourage and love one another. Let us encourage and stir up one another. The command here is to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, the writer of Hebrews, I'm sure he wanted them and wants us, God wants us to love and he wants us to do good works. But here he's saying to stir up one another, to stir up each other. You know, that word stir up is to, is to provoke. Now, we can provoke people in the wrong way, <laughs> okay? We, and listen, if we wanted to, we could be really good at it. But that's not what this is talking about. To provoke people in the best way. To provoke people to do, to, 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 to do the things that God wants us to do. To encourage people to love other people. To love your wife to love your family, to love your children, to love that person, to love your friend, to not throw away the relationship, but to love them, to encourage them. It's, 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 it's the time and moment whenever people come. You know, people come to you for counsel. They come to you for advice. What are we giving them? It says here to stir them up to love and good works to ensure that we are sending people the right direction, that we're encouraging them to love each other, but also to get involved in what God is doing, to do the things that we know please God. And man, there, there, there is something about getting a good, sound counsel. In, in, you know, it, when, it, when, it's, when you're going through, you, your, your friend or someone that you know is going through a hard time in their marriage, make sure we give them sound counsel to love one another to do the thing that is right, to do the thing that pleases God. You know, uh, if, if, it's, if it's your child, if it's a friend, that we make sure that we stir one another up, that we're not stirring the pot, provoking people and causing division and, and encouraging people to slander people and encouraging people to talk bad about and gossip about, about others. No, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to encourage each other to love one another to encourage each other to do the things that we know please God. Because, man, right there, because Jesus is our mediator, he, he made sure, he showed his love, and he did a good thing. And let us do 
that very thing and encourage others to do the same thing. So, hold fast. Hold fast to what God has called us to do. And let us make sure that we are encouraging, um, encouraging, encouraging others to love and to do good work. So, I want to pull these three points back up. And, you know, because, you know, one of these I know God is, is, is speaking to you, you know. Uh, and so, what is God speaking to you today? On this special day, the Day of Atonement, I know that this is a day that, that, that was in the Old Testament, but it's still a holy day for what it represents. If you can pull those three points back up, um, uh, draw, uh, the three things, to draw near to God, to hold fast to your confession, and to encourage and stir up one another to good works. Which one is God speaking to you today? What is it that God is wanting you to do? As you take that, if it is to draw near to God, let me encourage you. Let us all take that step in drawing near to Him. Drawing near to His Word. Drawing near to Him in prayer. Stepping forward to Him and ensuring that if there's anything in our life that we need to change, that we give it to God and we trust Him. We trust Him. If it's to hold fast to your confession, profess the Word of God. Profess the truth in your life. Confess it and, 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 and believe it and stand strong and hold fast to the confession of your hope in Jesus Christ. To not allow your moment, to not allow what you're walking through to shake you, but to allow it to still stand strong on that foundation. And if it is to encourage and stir up one another to good works, and let me encourage you to, to give solid, sound advice and encourage people to love. Encourage people to stir one or, 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 or to, to stir one another to stir others, excuse me, up to good works. Let us do what God is speaking to us to do today. Amen. And if you're here today and maybe you heard about the atonement, talking about Jesus and what he did for you, maybe you're not born again. We're gonna pray a very simple prayer. And that prayer, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe that he has died for you, for your sins, the Bible says that you'll be born again. He will save your soul. We're going to pray, prayer, we're going to pray a prayer all together. And if you're here today and you would like to be saved, right where you're at, God knows where you're at. We're going to pray a prayer. And all you have to do is pray it with your heart and mean it. And if you do so, you will be saved. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Everybody, if you can say these words after me, and if it's you praying this prayer, just, just, just mean it with your whole heart. Let us all say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving my soul. I give you my life today. And I pray you would help me to follow you. Be my Lord and help me to do what you have called me to do. Today, I am saved. If you believe that prayer, the Bible says that you are saved, that you are born again. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, the Bible says that you are saved. And let me encourage you that if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you meant it, let me give you a couple of things. Number one, number one, the first thing is, that, is, is to make sure that you were in church. Uh, uh, or, excuse me, make sure that you find a church. 
And this is a great one if you don't have one. If you're visiting, make sure you find one where you're at. If you're watching today, I want to encourage you to find a church. But number two, uh, we have a special gift for you, and that will help you with your walk with Jesus. But today is a day where we can ensure that we draw near to God. Amen? I'm going to pray one more prayer, and this is for all of us. And, and, and as we leave here, today we're drawing near to God. We're holding fast to our confession and or we are, uh, we are encouraging one another to love and good works. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, today. Lord Jesus, that, Lord, that today, God, is a very special day, Lord, on your calendar, Father. And God, it is a day of atonement, the day that Jesus went to the cross for our sins, Lord. God, he died for us, but Lord, he also removed our sins and he paid for them, Lord. I got today, we know is a special day, and Lord, today we choose to draw near to you. Lord, I pray, God, that you would forgive us where we have failed you, Lord. And God, I pray that you would help us to follow you and help us to take the step, Lord, to draw near to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord. God, also, God, that you would help us to, God, to, God, to, to stand strong, God, and to hold fast to the confession of our hope and help us, God, to give sound counsel, Lord, God, to encourage others, Lord, to love and good works, Father. Our desire ultimately is to please you, Father. God, I pray you would meet every need today, Father. Lord, if you believe that, say amen and amen. Thanks again for joining us for this dynamic message from Pastor Marcus Dunham. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastors and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.